All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Newt News Podcast. We're so excited to be joined today by our friend Jacob. We're going to talk about some really exciting stuff, such as whether the Cardinals should rebuild. Um, But all of that's going to be pushed back a bit because we've got some interesting news coming out of the Cardinals today. During their 3-0 win over the Cubs, the Cardinals made two massive trades, in my opinion. Uh, The first one sent Jordan Hicks up to Toronto in exchange for two prospects, both starting pitching prospects. So that's really good for us. And then the other one packaged Montgomery and Stratton, sent them down to Texas in exchange for one reliever who's already pitched a couple seasons at the major league level, and then two more prospects, one middle infielder and one pitcher. I think uh, that pitcher, Takoa Roby, might be the most interesting name the Cardinals acquired today. So we're going to get in all all of that, um, I guess, right now. Yeah, it was uh, tough to see two of our three Jordans go in the span of like 10 minutes, but I think um, it was the right call. We saw... Rumors that Hicks might be trying to get extended at some point. Uh, I think that it was reported that he was offered a three-year deal. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I need to see some some more numbers uh, before we can decide on that. But I guess Hicks is officially gone. I didn't really want him to stick around for too much longer. I wanted um, the possibility of a trade and then re-signing him in the offseason. Get something back for him because we're not really going to need him down the stretch. Um, not that well versed in the prospects we got back, but it looks like people are really happy with the Montgomery Stratton trade as well. So I'm really happy to see, um, and excited to see what those prospects do for us in the future. Yeah. I think I'd like to start us with the Hicks deal. Um, cause you led with that. So Jordan Hicks obviously has been a revelation for the Cardinals. He's been the best piece in their bullpen this year without Jordan, the Cardinals would probably be a lot worse off. And we're going to see that down the stretch. Um, Jojo Romero closed today for anyone that's wondering. So the state of the Cardinals bullpen isn't great right now, but again, this is a guy that a lot of Cardinals fans wanted to DFA myself included. Um, I'll be honest. I, I got to a point in May where I was very frustrated with Hicks. Um, a lot of people, even on the radio, you know, you had bigger names, uh, like BK and Ferrario saying that it was time to cut ties with Jordan Hicks. And this is a guy that you were able to get two legitimate pitching prospects back for. Um, it looks like uh, Kloffenstein, uh, the less interesting of the two names probably will be ready to pitch in 2024 for the Cardinals could even compete for a rotation spot at some point. Yeah. It's very interesting to see what type of trajectory that Jordan Hicks had as a Cardinal. You know, mm-hmm. we, we tried him out as a, as a starter. Uh, I think that was two years ago and we all know how that went. Um, but this year, I mean, he's had kind of an insane turnaround, especially in the second half. Like he was, he was going crazy with those saves. I think he had seven in a row at one point. Um, so, you know, it does suck to see him go, but we did get some good value in return. Uh, so with the two trades today, we got uh, guys who are going to slot in at number four in our system, number seven, number eight, and 23. So I think we have some good guys that we can maybe count on in the future. Yeah, I agree completely. Um, I think, you know, like like you said, Jordan Hicks, not really important for this team. It's not a team that's competing for the postseason, sadly. Um, and so you don't like, you know, we don't need a lockdown closer in the ninth inning. And I think getting pitching back, you know, Mo said in an interview, like the focus is pitching, pitching, pitching. And he really, he followed through on that, which I appreciate. Like we desperately need pitching and we made some moves to get it. And I really appreciate seeing that and like recognizing that we made a mistake by not maybe getting as much pitching last off season. And so capitalizing here on some guys that, you know, are free agents at the end of the year. And we just don't need to be winning right now. Absolutely. Uh, I think the only thing left on most wish lists is to see Flaherty traded uh, by the end of the deadline here, because, you know, you got to capitalize on these rentals. I love what Jacob said there. 
if, if you have a guy that's a rental, there's absolutely no reason, especially if you're not going to re-sign him or you're not going to extend him. For example, Montgomery's a Boris client. You know he's not going to take an extension right now. Uh, and so you have to unload those guys. And I'm really glad Mo was able to follow through and to do so with, honestly, a very good return. Um, I don't think a lot of Cardinals fans are disappointed in the return today. Sure, it might not look like the Giolito return. The Angels definitely overpaid for him, dealing a guy who pretty much everyone agrees is a top 100 prospect in the sport. Um, but you know, that wasn't an area of need for the Cardinals anyway, he's a catcher. And so we see the Cardinals get back really interesting pitching. Yeah. You mentioned the Giolito deal. Um, I, one of the things that I, I was saying is if you trade pitchers to the angels right now, they're going to overpay for them. So I think Flaherty might be another fit over there. I don't really like Tyler Anderson slotting in, even as their six starter, he's been pretty dreadful. He had a good start today though, which is good. Um, but yeah, I think the Angels are one team that you should look at um, to maybe overpay for some of those guys. They got Giolito, but their rotation could definitely use some help. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe they're a good logical trade partner for Flaherty. And honestly, the other thing is, it's probably the right thing to do for these guys. You know, Jordan Hicks isn't going to get a chance to pitch in October here. Uh, we all know that. But, you know, in Toronto, he's going to get a chance to close for a postseason team. That's exciting, you know. Uh, I'm really glad that Montgomery will get to see some postseason action because – didn't really get to see much last year. So, yeah, I think also it could be really interesting to um, package Flaherty with uh, like maybe Burleson or Edmund or something like that. I think it could be really interesting just to like try and like for teams that are not necessarily like are just looking for hitting in general and also to like boost the possible return we get back um, for Flaherty. I think it could be really interesting because I know like especially if um, O'Neill can stay healthy, like. Personally, I like seeing the starting outfield be like O'Neill, um, maybe Doompar, and then Walker, and then Carlson is like a backup for that. So I don't know really where Burleson fits in there. Maybe he displaces Carlson, you know, one of them gets traded. But that and also we have now, especially with another middle infield prospect, we've got a wealth of middle infielders. And I don't like with how Tommy Edmond is hitting, I don't necessarily know if we still need him. Obviously, he still plays great defense. But you know, when you have Mason Wynn coming, you've got Brendan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, like, you know, you still have Paul DeYoung on the team. He might get traded, though. Like, there's a lot of options you have there, and I don't know where Edmund and Burleson kind of fit into the team as it's moving forward. Yeah, that's absolutely an angle I haven't heard talked about enough uh, with the Montgomery trade. I think that you could be restocking to see a Tommy Edmund deal. Now, the Cardinals have labeled him untouchable. I wonder if that's to draw people in, or I wonder if they're actually saying we're not going to trade Tommy Edmund. But I think you're right. I think we do need to ship someone out of this middle infield at some point. I don't think it's going to be Gorman. I think he's, he just, I mean, when someone shows 40 homer power at second base, you can't trade that guy, especially not at this age. I think if the Cardinals hang on to Gorman and he has another good year, his value's infinitely higher next year, too. Um, they're saying Gorman couldn't bring you back an ace on his own right now. I think if he actually does hit 40 home runs, like we've been talking about, he's on what 39 home run pace this year. Uh, if he played all 162, you could be talking about a guy who does that next year and has a lot more value. Um, so yeah, I think this could pave the way for the Cardinals to move somebody in the middle infield. I think DeYoung is also going to be headed out the door regardless. He has more value than people realize. If you go look at DeYoung's numbers, he's been decent this year. And that's all you're asking out of a guy who's cost controlled, has two options. Um, so I'm really hoping to see the Cardinals deal him as well. All right. I think we should start moving into our little bit more controversial side of our um, episode today. Um, Jacob and Sandy in our little group chat have had significant discussions at length about a lot of these <laughs> topics. Um, most of them have not been the most friendly 
So um, kind of wanted to put that on display for you guys this week. Um, first, start, start off with a really, really small question and then getting into some bigger topics. Um, this past week, we saw the Cardinals and Cubs play in game one, and it got off to a really rough start immediately. Um, Ian Happ is up with two outs, swings and misses at a pitch, and clocks Wilson Contreras in the face with his backswing. Um, and Contreras starts bleeding. He has to get some stitches and leaves the game with potential like concussion or injuries. Um, so immediately after that, Miles Michaelis goes up and in, buzzes the tower on Ian Happ, and then hits him with the next pitch. So do you guys think that Ian Happ um, was in the right Um he did hug Contreras afterwards. It was just an accident, and Michaelis should not have hit him, and that Michaelis should have been ejected from the game. Or do you think there was maybe some malice between Ian Happ and his former teammate, and that Miles Michaelis should have stayed in to pitch and finish the game? Yeah, I mean, I I'll let you start. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I would think Ian Happ's in the right. I think it's hard to argue someone's in the right hitting the other person in the head. You know, that's that's not what I'm saying. I just think like. I don't know. They, I don't think there's any malintent. Like they're clearly we're good friends, you know, last year, like right before the trade deadline last year, they like hugged each other in the dugout when they both thought they were going to get traded off to different teams. They hugged after this. Like, I don't think there was any intentionality by that. Like that's, I don't know. Hap has done that previously to other guys. It's sort of his swing path, like be that what it may like, yeah. I don't know. Like you obviously don't want to hit dudes in the head, but like, that's how he swings the bat. It wasn't like a different swing than he normally takes. And I mean, I just think, I don't know, like it's hard because like what the rules say is that if you hit someone intentionally, you get thrown out of the game because you're not allowed to do that. Right. And I think just given the situation, I feel like Michaelis, like it, I don't know, he, he made it hard for the umps to say he wasn't doing it intentionally. Like if you just watch the catcher get hit in the head and then you immediately start throwing at a guy, like it's hard to argue you're not doing it intentionally. So in that sense, I think it was okay that he got ejected because that's what the rule is now. Whether or not that should be the rule is a whole different discussion. But like, he made it, I think, probably too easy for the umps to just be like, yeah, he threw at him intentionally. He got ejected. Obviously, you know, in my opinion, I think, you know, it's hard to judge people in like the heat of the moment. I understand he was upset about his catcher getting hit in the head, right? But like in terms of how that game then went for the Cardinals, like Dakota Hudson came in with not much warm up, gave a bunch of runs. Then other pitchers came in and gave up more runs like it didn't set us up for success. And so I think just viewing it from a team perspective, it would have been probably better for Michaelis to just like just, you know, take it and just pitch well the rest of the game and just try and move on because like Hap didn't make a big deal of it. He got hit. He walked to first base, you know. He wasn't trying to make it a, a bigger situation. I don't think the Cubs were. It's just kind of unfortunate that it unfolded that way, I would say. Mm. Well, I, I agree with you on some of those points. Like, yes, Michael has made it really easy on the umpires to throw him out there. Um, but also, I think that there are written rules of baseball and there are unwritten rules of baseball. And this is something that a lot of people say there's no more room for this in the game. Uh, but I think that's dishonoring the legacy and history of the game. The unwritten rules of baseball exist for a reason. The game has policed itself for the last 130 years, right? And I think that's an important thing to understand. Now, when you hit a catcher in the head with your swing, for the last 130 years, you've been hit with the next pitch in general. And it's just something that happens. Uh, obviously, it's not intentional, but it's, it's how it works. Michaelis is obviously pissed off. He doesn't want to see the catcher that he generally throws to taken out of the game. Michaelis has commented at length on how he, you know, 
really uh, cares about Contreras behind the dish. He really likes his game calling. He feels that they work well together. So regardless, this is going to throw off Michaelis's start, right? Uh, to have your catcher removed, someone you didn't warm up with that day, it's going gonna, it's gonna to throw you off. And I'd be really upset if I was Miles Michaelis in that scenario. I understand it. I also think Hap's reaction is important too. When Hap got hit, he took it. He didn't say a word. He knew it was coming. He knew it, what was, it was what was supposed to happen. The game is policing itself. And so he walked down the line. You didn't have anybody in the Cubs dugout running onto the field, shouting anything at Michaelis. No one said a single word. Then the umpires get together and throw him out. All they did was, you know, stoke the flames. All they did was make things worse. It's like pouring gasoline on a fire that's about to go out. That's what the umpires did. I thought it was ridiculous. Also, the suspension from MLB, I know it's what the rules say, but they must be forgetting that they just suspended Michaelis for the last, you know, eight and one third innings of that game too. Um, I think it was just a ridiculous situation all around. And I think if you go back and watch the broadcast by Brad Thompson, he couldn't have said it any better. I think he was absolutely in the right with what he said. I understand the other side as well. I understand maybe Michaelis should have waited and hit Hap at his next at bat. I don't know. But again, you know, something usually needs to be done when that occurs. And also incentivize Hap to stop hitting people. I know it's a swing path, but I don't care if that's your swing path. Stop doing it. You know, maybe you shouldn't have such an uppercut swing that comes back or you should do something about it. Because if you have a pattern of hitting catchers, you deserve to have a pattern of getting hit by pitchers. Yeah, I, I think it's important to note as well that uh, there was no protesting from the Cubs dug, dugout at all after Hap got hit. Like they, they, they knew it was coming. They knew that Michaelis was probably going to throw something at him. Um, and that's something that Chip and Brad noted as well was that um, there was just nothing coming from the Cubs dugout to warrant that you know, that ejection. So I think you're right. Um, the umpires kind of, you know, they went for it. They, they didn't really uh, discuss it very, very much before making that move. I think one more thing is important to talk about as well. And that's where he was hit. You know, he was hit on the, on the side, the meaty part, you might say, and clearly there was no intent to injure him. Now, before that, Michaelis through high and tight. And I think that was a show of force. I don't think he was trying to hit him in the head. I think he was saying, this is where I could hit you. And then he immediately, you know, threw an 85 mile an hour, you know, soft toss that hit him in the butt. And I, I don't think that's a problem. Um, he, he put him on base. And also the last thing, getting hit by a pitch, there's a reason you get your base, right? So, <laughs> you know, he, uh, he already got his punishment. Michaelis's punishment was allowing a base runner. And I think that was suitable um, for what happened. All right. Um, now, as we get into more of the uh, long-term topics that we have to discuss, yes. uh, yeah, things could get a little rough here. Um, but the first question I have for you guys is, we talked about the trade deadline. Montgomery, Hicks, Stratton, they're all gone. Uh, DeYoung and Flaherty are probably next. But after that, do you think anyone else should be traded, perhaps? Anyone uh, a little bit bigger, under a little bit more uh, control? I'll start with you, Jacob, because I know you have a lot to say. Yeah, I mean, I sort of talked about this at length the last time I was here. But yeah, I I am of the camp that we should trade Paul Goldschmidt. It's a little bit, I think there's a lot more nuance to it now after what happened today, um, because it's sort of hard to know. It depends a lot, I think, on how actually major league ready these pitchers we've just acquired are for next year. Because I think part of my concern now is like, we got a lot of pitchers. Most of them are currently um, in double A. I know, I think we announced that like two of them are going straight to Memphis though. So they'll be in triple A. And I know Sandy talked at the beginning about how some of them are expected to compete for spots in the rotation, but I still think it's, it's hard to look at the team right now 
and think, oh, we're going to be very competitive for next year, pending some offseason decisions. I know there's still the offseason. There's still free agency. There's a lot of, you know, like we could we could bring in like two pitchers and then, you know, that the team looks a lot better. But I think it's hard to look at it right now where your rotation for next year is looking like Michaelis, um, probably Libertor's in there. Mats is in there. Like Mats is my guy now. Mats is cooking. <laughs> he has been good his last few starts. Um, really good. <laughs> maybe like, you know, I know they were trying to make Zach Thompson a starter. I don't know why we did that. Um, like Palante has started in the past. And then other than that, you're looking at a lot of like rookies and I'm all for giving up guys the opportunity. I think that's important, but I don't think we should hedge our entire next season on rookie debuts by pitchers. And so I think if it, it, it sort of, it depends a lot on the plan. If the plan is we've acquired this pitching, we're going to try to make it usable for next year. And we're not going to make a ton of noise in the off season then I think trading Paul Goldschmidt to get some major league level proven pitching right now and moving Jordan Walker or Alec Burleson's played first base, moving one of them to first base um, could be a way to continue with this team. Because my worry is that if we aren't competitive next year with these guys or even with the guys we signed in the offseason, then you're looking at maybe, oh, do we trade half a season of Paul Goldschmidt? Do we extend him? for a bunch of money for an aging player that is bound to regress at some point. Like it just, I feel like it's the safer long-term option to trade Paul Goldschmidt for the future of the team. Now, obviously I recognize that trading him puts in jeopardy next season, you know, more like he's a consistent hitter right now. Um, Not as good as last season, but he was the MVP last season. So it's hard to match that, but like, obviously, you know, people will be a lot more confident about this team next year with Paul Goldschmidt on it rather than not. But I think that there's just there's room to like take this year and a half period to develop these players and then be really good the year after rather than like trying to half compete next year and then trying to half compete again the following year. I'm, I'm glad, first off, that you're not talking about a full rebuild because <laughs> the idea of going into a full rebuild, I think, with the Cardinals right now would be absolutely ridiculous. Um now, again, one more thing I want to refute before I go into my full defense of why the Cardinals should hang on to Paul Goldschmidt. I do think if the Cardinals reach an extension with Paul Goldschmidt, either this offseason with one year left on his deal or some point next season or in the offseason after the 2024 season, I think it'll be pretty cost friendly, team friendly. I can't see Paul Goldschmidt trying to extract every dollar out of the Cardinals. I know um, that some people have you know, talked to him and, and he said that he doesn't want to leave St. Louis necessarily. Um, his family's pretty plugged in here. He, he's a pretty old player, which, and you know, he's got kids that are a little older. I don't think he's eager to move. So I think the Cardinals could get Paul Goldschmidt on a pretty team friendly extension at that point. Yes. Right now he's getting paid a lot, but again, Paul Goldschmidt's worth every penny. He's the best bat on this team this year. Um, might not even have the best numbers. He and Arnott are really close, but again, Goldschmidt's been the most consistent. He's been good all year long. Uh, and he won MVP last year. I just think moving Paul Goldschmidt, does not move you towards contention. I think without Paul Goldschmidt, this offense is a lot worse. And he's someone you can bank on right now. Also, if you're the Diamondbacks, yes, Paul Goldschmidt was younger at that point, but they got back quite a haul in terms of, you know, who they got back at the time, right? Carson Kelly was seen as maybe the game's top catching prospect at that point in time. Uh, Luke Weaver was an up-and-coming young pitcher who'd had some really good um, moments, at least with the Cardinals, had a great rookie season, an okay sophomore season. Where's Luke Weaver now? You know, he's not in Arizona and Carson Kelly is awful. 
There's no other way to say it. Like Andy Young, the third guy, never even made the bigs. I think when you trade established talent like Paul Goldschmidt or Nolan Arenado is another example, right? Colorado, what they got back was two pitchers who never made it out of double A, Austin Gomber, who has like a career 7.2 ERA with the Rockies, and El Hiras Montero, who is okay. Like he's fun to watch. But again, Montero doesn't hold a candle to anything that Nolan Arenado has produced in a Cardinals uniform. I think it's really hard to trade that kind of established talent without getting back real established talent. And I just don't think Goldschmidt was going to bring that in. He's old enough to the point where I don't think anybody was going to give up a young controllable ace. For Goldschmidt, you were probably going to get high ceiling guys low in the minors, right? You're talking about getting guys back who are maybe in single A or double A if you're going to get pitching back for Goldschmidt. Now, maybe they're really interesting pitchers who are high up in their organizational prospect rankings. But again, I don't see anybody giving back actual established starting talent for Paul Goldschmidt. And so that's why I'm not super interested in it. Um, Also, the trade partners that I sort of lined up myself when I was thinking about hypothetical Goldschmidt trades, none of them are the most interesting to me. Seattle has some arms, but I don't think Gilbert was going to come over for Goldschmidt. I don't think Seattle's going to do that. I don't think the Angels would trade Sandoval for Goldschmidt. And again, I'm not sure that even works out for the Cardinals. I don't think Sandoval is that fantastic. Um, So I just don't think the fits were there. And the last thing is, I think trading Paul Goldschmidt, I think you're giving away a lot more than just baseball talent. You're giving away somebody who's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame. He just passed 60 war this year. And I think he's going to go to the Hall of Fame in a Cardinals cap. I think that's something that the Cardinals need to consider. The off the field consequences of trading Paul Goldschmidt would be massive. You'd probably have a fan revolt. He's a fan favorite. And there's a reason, you know, he's an all-star almost every year. He just won the MVP. Paul Goldschmidt is an, you know, Hall of Fame person too. He does a lot of charity work in the St. Louis area. People love him. Uh, He never has drama off the field. He's just, you know, a model player and a model person. Um, And I don't think that's someone you want to alienate from the organization. I don't think that's someone you don't want coming around later on. Um, Having Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnato too on the team, the Cardinals will reap those benefits for 50 years. Um, They'll continue to be plugged in with the organization. They'll continue to be here every opening day because I think both of them are going to wear Cardinals hats into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, I I wholeheartedly agree with you, Sandy. I think that it would be such a mistake to trade Goldschmidt or Arnado. I mean, these guys are going to be future hall of famers probably. And um, they're just great people too. And um, I, I don't see it as a thing to be worth it to give them up for some, some dice roll prospects that we don't know could pan out, you know, like it's just not worth it to do that, to give up those guys. So I know you mentioned Arnado. I think that's a guy that Jacob is potentially interested in trading as well. Um, if you guys wanted to go into that for a little bit. I I can start this time. I think trading Arnado is just not the direction the Cardinals want to go if you're going to contend. The first thing is, if you trade Arnado, who's playing third base? Now, I know people will say the Cardinals have natural third basemen in their system. We used to have a lot of third base depth. Nolan Gorman came up as a third baseman, but he's clearly not the guy you want playing third, and he's really settling in at second defensively. I think it'd be really bad for his development to suddenly move him across the diamond again. He's just picking up second. Um, He's now an above average defender at second base. According to most metrics this year, he's been really good. Um, Jordan Walker, again, a natural third baseman, but do I want to see Jordan Walker playing third? Absolutely not. In the small sample size that he's been there, it hasn't been pretty. Uh, It's arguably worse than it is in the outfield. And I think if Jordan Walker finds himself in the infield, he will eventually move to first base. And I don't want to waste Jordan Walker's athleticism or arm at first base. I just don't think third is a good fit for him. Lastly, we used to have, you know, 
Malcolm Nunez was another um, third base prospect we had, but again, he went over to Pittsburgh and the Quintana deal. So the Cardinals have very little depth at third base organizationally. And that's done because they've planned around having Nolan Arenado for the length of this contract. So I think if you suddenly change course, it hurts you right now. I also think Nolan Arenado is going to be a very good hitter for the next three or four seasons, at least. He's a guy that you just need his bat in the lineup. When Nolan Arenado is playing well, the Cardinals generally play very well. Now, we know Nolan and Goldie can't carry the team. This year, they've both been good to great, and the team has been terrible because the pitching sucks. There's no other way around it, right? When you blow 22 games, you're not going to win a lot. But I I don't think you'd get back what you need. I I remember recently uh, the trade partner that has been floated around is the Dodgers, and the L.A. media drove me nuts fanning the flames of this. It was ridiculous. And on Twitter, we had just ignorant Dodgers fans coming into my replies constantly talking about, oh, get ready to eat crow when Nolan Arenado is wearing Dodger blue. I think if Nolan Arenado was going to be traded to the Dodgers, it was going to be a haul that they were never going to be interested in paying up. And if they didn't pay that up, the Cardinals were never going to be interested in dealing him. He's a player that's so good in an organization that's very good and generally doesn't trade away those kinds of players. It's going to need to be earth shattering, right? I think a Nolan Arenado deal would have started with Walker Bueller. Um, They probably would have wanted to include Bobby Miller, who LA was labeling as untouchable. I think Gavin Stone was going to have to be in that deal too. You're talking about three to four very, very good young pitchers. Meanwhile, you have a lot of Dodgers fans saying that the Cardinals would have to eat half the contract to acquire anybody. So I just don't think there was room for a deal to happen. And I also just don't think it helps the organization long-term. And again, the fan revolt. If you trade Arenado, the fans will burn Bush Stadium to the ground. It just, it's not going to (laughs) work. I will say, since the last time we've been on this podcast, my my opinion on trading Nato has softened a little bit, mostly because I did not expect us to get this much pitching back for Hicks, Monty, Stratton, and I know Jay Flair still hasn't been traded yet. But like, part of the reason that I was thinking of like considering trading him is that I didn't know how we were going to get the pitching necessary to compete under the length of his contract without trading him. But honestly, these deals today have done a really good job of solidifying that. Um, hopefully, for the, I mean, you know, their prospects is hard to say. Yes, pitching is done for the future. You know, you can't really say that. But I think keeping Nolan Arenado around is definitely something I'm more okay with now than I was two weeks ago. Bad. And I think that um, for the future, he makes a lot of sense, you know. And it's, I think that's where my position has changed a little bit from just more into the trading Goldie camp rather than the trading both of them and going into a full rebuild because I just didn't really see us getting so much back for these guys. And part of that is that I didn't expect the seller's market to be so good like this. Like there are way more teams that I think are like viewing themselves as not sellers or at the very least like holders and not, you know, like, like even like the Cubs who decided to take Bellinger off the market. Like I was not thinking that was going to be the case two weeks ago. Like I don't, I don't like, I think there's probably like around over half the league right now that thinks that they're buyers slash holders. And I didn't really expect that to be the case two weeks ago. And I think some of those teams are wrong for making that decision, but that doesn't mean that they haven't made it. And so because of that, we're getting a lot larger return on our rentals than I expected us to get initially. Yeah. There's a lot to digest there. I like a lot of what you said. Um, I think one thing, what you were saying about not being able to get the pitching during Nolan Arnado's contract, I think actually people need to understand the Randy Flores pitching development machine is now in full gear. 
Um, it's, I think it's going to be really good down the line. The Cardinals have a lot of organizational depth at the low minors in terms of pitching. You have names like Ian Bedell, Pete Hansen, Paniagua is having a fantastic season in his return from his stint on the IL. Uh, Tink Hens, obviously, we know he has ace-type stuff. The Cardinals have a lot of good names in the lower minors. There are a lot of guys that could shoot up prospect lists and be very, very exciting by the time they reach the bigs. That's something they didn't have recently. We saw what happened when the Cardinals don't have organizational pitching depth, and that's what happens this year. That's why the only guy that they had ready to fill in was Matt's, or not Matt, sorry, Liberator. right? That's why Libby was the only impact call-up we had rotation-wise this year, and it, it can't work that way. I also think you can't be so quick to give up on Libby. Um, you know, he, he's got all the tools. He throws 98 from the left side, has a 12-6 curve. Uh, it's a plus-plus offering. I think Libertor will be a good starter at some point. I hope the Cardinals aren't the ones to give up on him and let him do that somewhere else. Uh, that's just something I wanted to throw in there. Um, but yeah, I'm glad to see that you're coming around on not trading Arnato because I just, I just don't think that's the way to go if you want to contend. Uh, and I totally agree with you. The seller's market this year, far more lucrative than I expected. And that's because, you know, most teams are deciding to hold. I love the third wildcard spot right now, even though the Cardinals aren't going to be getting it. Uh, it means the Cubs are going to, the Cubs are going to be buyers, which is hilarious, right? Bellinger and Stroman, we're going to get quite the return. I think the Yankees would have been paying up in terms of controllable pitching for Bellinger, which the Cubs obviously could use next year. Um, but it's not going to be coming back to them now. And Bellinger is going to hit free agency and then see it. No return. I love that so much. Uh, I love not seeing Stroman get traded. And I love not seeing the Cubs bring in talent to contend again next year, as long as they miss the playoffs, which I really hope they do. So it was a good step in the right direction to see the Cardinals beat them. Um, but yeah, the Cardinals have taken advantage of an excellent seller's market. Them and the White Sox really were the only teams who actually had valuable assets, were in the position of clear sellers, and have acted on that. So I think that's outstanding work from those teams. Yeah, honestly, I think it's the perfect storm for, for being the Cubs, right? You know, they're <laughs> eight, eight games in a row now, so they're, they're feeling good. But, you know, the wheels are going to come off come August 2nd after the deadline, and I think it's going to be hilarious to watch. So uh, it'll be good to see that. I was really hoping we'd see the Cubs go all in on like Giolito because it has 2016 uh, Pirates vibes, right? Remember the Pirates were kind of out of it and they went on a little win streak before the deadline and then traded everybody for Chris Archer. And I really wanted to see something like that, right? The Pirates at that point, I believe they traded Glasnow, who was like the ninth overall prospect in the league, Meadows, who was in the 20s, and then Shane Boz was 98th at the time. They traded all three of those guys for like half or one and a half seasons of Chris Archer and then DFA'd him. <laughs> like I was really hoping for something like that. Um, maybe we'll still see the Cubs buy. My dream, honestly, Andrew, you're going to hate this so much, is to see the Reds pay everything for Shohei Otani and then just not make the playoffs. Obviously, he's not going to the Reds. They're not trading him, which that's a mistake in my opinion. Um, but <laughs> I guess I can't fault him for going for it, though. I mean, okay, we're going to take a little detour for a second. I'll defend the Angels for a little bit. I don't think you can you can sit there as a fan of any other team and be like, no, nah, the Angels shouldn't be going for it because the Angels' goal this season, only goal, should be to retain Shohei Otani beyond um, 2023. And the only way that they're going to be able to do that is to build a competitive team around him. Otani said time and time again that um, he really wants to win a championship and that's all that it really means to him. So for the Angels to go and show commitment to him like that, like you can't be the guy that trades Babe Ruth. Like we've seen that happen. It's been talked about yes. for 
since long before I was even born, since before my parents were even born. It's it's baseball history. It's just knowledge that when you trade Babe Ruth, bad things happen to your franchise, right? So sure, you know, but trading Shohei Otani, you just can't you can't do that. It's the next Babe Ruth, right? He's the two. Yeah, but but like. Babe Ruth was on a team that knew what they were doing. Babe Ruth was also not on an expiring contract. Like it worked differently back then. Shohei Otani is all the angels have. And if you trade him, you're going to restock your whole system. You could, especially with the way the seller's market is right now, you could trade Shohei Otani and get two pitchers who are going to be in your rotation for the next six years. And probably a bat that you're going to call up and have hit like fifth in your lineup at some point, maybe even better. You could get impact talent for Shohei Otani right now especially if you're willing to trade within the division. I know Texas isn't a buyer anymore at this point. They probably, you know, but you probably could have gotten like Josh Jung. You probably could have gotten Evan White. You could have gotten some big names from, from people if you're willing to deal within a division or even, you know, within the league. Um, so I think it, it might be a mistake. But also, again, I understand why the Angels are going for it. They haven't been to the playoffs in, I think this is the ninth season now. If they miss the playoffs, it'll be the ninth consecutive season. But I mean, real talk, Andrew. If the Angels make the playoffs, dream scenario, the Angels actually make the playoffs. They're not going to win the division, but they make the playoffs. They play in the wild card round. Maybe they even win the wild card round. If the Angels then lose in the ALDS or even the ALCS, is that enough for Shohei to just be like, okay, great. I'll commit my career here. And, you know, who knows if we're going to be any good. They just mortgage their future. Like if I'm Shohei, I'm still not convinced, even if we go to the ALCS. I mean, I don't know if Otani is as plugged in with the prospect list as we are. I don't think that's really something that's on his mind. But um, he's familiar with Anaheim. He's the only one who's been able to negotiate with the, their front office. I think if he told Artie Moreno or Perry Manazian, like, hey, I'm not staying after next year. Yeah, they'd probably trade him. But clearly he's he's very comfortable with that team. You've seen in the WBC like he'd face off against his teammates and they'd hug and take a picture beforehand. Like he's very comfortable with that organization. It's close to Japan, about as close as you can get honestly. Um but like we don't we don't know what's what's going on behind closed doors and if Otani is, has expressed some desire to stay then they should show the commitment to him um to win now. And I think the Angels have built a pretty solid playoff team. Like you, you go to the playoffs with Otani as your ace. I don't sure. want to face him. And then Giolito, Reed Detmers, Patrick Sandoval, throw whoever you want. You can even piggyback Anderson or not Anderson Detmers and, um, and Sandoval uh, for your game three. And then you start back over. Yeah. Like that's a good playoff squad. Um, their lineup, they're going to get Trout back. They're going to get Drury back. They're going to get Rendon back. They're going to get Ohapi back. There's a lot of guys that are, on their IL right now that are really, really solid bats as well. The rotation looks solid and they've been hovering around 500 with all of those guys on the IL. So I know it's been mean, but like getting Paul DeYoung back is like making a trade, but I feel like getting Mike Trout back is probably bigger than making a trade, right? Like you get Mike Trout back who is on the market right now. That's going to fill those shoes. Juan Soto, he's not getting traded. So who else is yeah. there? Um, so I think the angels, I mean, you have to take a gamble. If you if you sell Otani right now, then you're giving up on the season. And if you keep Otani to try to make a run and keep him, who knows what could happen? It's baseball, you know? Sure, it's baseball. I just think, I, I don't know. I think the baseball move, in my opinion, would still be to get 18 to 24 years of control for a guy that's going to be there for half a season. And even if he's the best player in the world, I, I just, I don't know. It's, it's definitely hard 
if I was an Angels fan, I would understand and I'd be excited about seeing Otani potentially be in the playoffs. But again, so much has to go their way. They're going to have to leapfrog a lot of teams. They're, I mean, it's going to be really tough to make the playoffs in the AL, especially with the strength of the AL East. It's going to be brutal. And also, I don't really understand why they're going for rentals and overpaying for rentals. I think if you're the Angels, if you want to make Otani happy, what you should do is target controllable pitching. Maybe you could have packaged Logan O'Hop and some other guys uh, and gone after someone's young, young starter. And I think that's much more interesting than Lucas Giolito for half a year, especially when you gave up an absolute haul for him. If you give up O'Hop, uh, the guy they traded, I think it's Caro or Cuero. I, I don't know how to say his name, but he's the, a catching prospect in the top 100. Like maybe he's your guy next year. Uh, I, I don't know. I just think it's a little strange. Um, but uh, the Angels will do what the Angels do. Yeah, I think personally, this is a this is a thing where like in, you know, a few years, everyone's going to be like, oh, this was a genius decision or, oh, my goodness, that was the worst decision in organizational history. Yeah, I think like that's that's sort of where it is. I agree with Andrew that like I think if you're the Angels, I feel like there has to be at least some level of understanding with Otani where like he's like maybe not given them benchmarks, but like expressed that like if certain things maybe happen, he'll be committed to staying with the team in the future. Because if you don't have that assurance, I have no idea why you make these deals. Um, But I think like, it's just one of those things where like, if it goes your way, you look really smart. And if it doesn't go your way, you look like a complete idiot. But I think it's going to be difficult because like you said, the AL right now is a very, is the much more competitive league compared to the NL in terms of wildcard spots. And there's just, like we talked about, there's like 20 teams right now that think they have an outside shot of making it in there. And like a lot of those teams are in the AL. Like, I think we're, we're at the point now where like, I'm pretty sure like everyone, even in just, if you look at just their division, I'm pretty sure everyone outside of the athletics is like, we can make at least a wild card. Like, I think that's, that's the mindset. And the entire AL East is completely just like, we have a shot at postseason. So already you're looking at nine teams there competing for these spots. Like you're just not, I don't know. It's going to be really difficult. I want them to make it because I think it'd be cool to see Otani in the playoffs. Absolutely. But I just don't know. Like, I think it's going to be one of those things where if like we get into the off season and like week two, it's like Otani is now a free agent and leaving the angels. It's like, what did we do here guys? Why were we doing that? So, you know, I think, I'm assu- I'm hoping for for the sake of Andrew's mental like I'm sure, hoping sure. that the Angels have at least talked with Otani a little bit and have some understanding of okay if we make this playoff push if you know if we make a run to like the ALCS or whatever you'll at least give us a strong consideration for staying you know like I'm hoping that's happened I don't I obviously don't know but I'm hoping that that's happened for the sake of Andrew, Andrew and Angels fans everywhere but yeah I think it's one of those things where it's going to be a really interesting offseason um, for a lot of teams. So, yeah. yeah. The Angels are just such a strange organization. And you can't even pretend like they haven't tried. The Angels spend money. They spend a lot more money than the Cardinals do, you know? I mean, you see them sign Anthony Rendon to a seven-year mega deal, right? We saw them. They dished out so much money this offseason. Tyler Anderson's getting paid more than almost anybody in the Cardinals starting staff. We've seen them go after guys. They retool their pitching every year. Right. I mean, going all the way back to signing Matt Harvey and Dylan Bundy, they retool their pitching every year and they can't develop players. They might have the worst development in all of baseball. Now, they, they struck gold with Mike Trout. That's awesome. 
he was going to be good no matter where he ended up. I mean, their, their biggest prospect in years was Joe Adele, who has been one of the biggest busts of the last five seasons so far. Obviously, he wouldn't be the first guy to figure it out at 24 or 25, but he hasn't been what they need him to be yet. Um, they finally have something in their farm system, right? The Angels are perennially, uh, constantly even, missing prospects. You know, they almost never rank in the top 25 of MLB's farm systems. Uh, we finally see them have, you know, two to three guys in the top 100, and they deal those right away for a rental Lucas Giolito. Like, it's just a weird organization. I, I don't know. I, if I'm Otani, like, Obviously, I can't see into his head, but I would, I would just be like, come on, guys. This is ridiculous. Um, and they just, again and again, they prove incompetence. That's the biggest thing to me. And I just think, you know, like Jacob said, this could be something where in six months even, we're like, wow, that was really stupid. So I'm, I'm going to be along for the ride, I guess. That's all. I'm glad it's not the Cardinals' decision to make. I'll tell you that. I mean, maybe it will be. I've got an article coming up uh, that I'm I'm writing about that. Um, we'll, we'll 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 talk we'll talk about that a little bit later before there, all these trades oh. go down. Wait, I have the best idea ever. Ready for this? Yeah. The Angels go to Otani and they say, "You know what? We're going to give you a one year extension, eighty million dollars, okay, to be our DH, our ace, and our general manager for one year." And they let him do whatever he wants this off season. Then he would stay, and you could get him on a short term deal. And then he would have to be happy because he'd be the one making the decisions. Can he sign himself to a, like a, a $1 billion extension or whatever? No, I think he would actually cut himself so he could go anywhere. <laughs> uh, man, I just wish we could ignore geography for a second and move the twins to the AL West and move the angels to the AL central. That would make things a lot better, but oh well, oh. here we are. Anyway, we should reel it back in and talk about, uh, Cardinals baseball. <laughs> uh, last thing I wanted to hit um, is Mosellock and Marmol. I know some, we have some conflicting viewpoints here about whether or not those two have done a good job, whether or not those two should be kept uh, for the long haul. I'll just open it up. Uh, what do we feel about those two guys? Well, I think everyone who can like even thinks about this issue but, uh, with Mo and Marmol, you have to fall into one of two camps, right? Everyone agrees the team sucks. Uh, there are two camps on why the team sucks. Either it's roster construction or it's player performance. I'm of the opinion that it's player performance. Now, there are problems with roster construction, right? The Cardinals did not have enough starters going into this year. That's on Mo. There, there should have been another pitcher. Woodford and Wayno together, if you just package their performance and into one guy, they're probably one of the five worst starting pitchers in all of baseball this year. wayno has been a little better as of late. I'm excited to watch him down the stretch. It's one of the only things that's going to be any fun for the next two months, watching him hopefully get two more wins. Um, but besides that, I really do think it's player performance. Um, and, and player performance, obviously, that's going to include injuries as well. Like, it sucks that every member of the Cardinals outfield has been hurt for an extended period of time at some point this year. It sucks that Brendan Donovan can't play the field anymore. It sucks that Contreras was hurt for a little bit, has had all these problems. It sucks that Edmonds hurt now. Uh, the Cardinals have been put through the ringer in terms of injuries. And then player performance is just awful. Um, it, it's, it's awful because the bullpen has blown 22 games, yet the bullpen's overall stats are not that bad. It's just blown save after blown save, and then you look up, and somehow they're top 10 in ERA. Like, like where the hell is this coming from? 
Um, it really sucks to see a guy like Steven Matz be so terrible for the first half and then be so good for the second half so far that his numbers look decent. Steven Matz is a 4.01 ERA, but the media doesn't want you to know that. Okay. Like it just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. And so I think a lot of it is on the players. I think it's on the players who can't hit with runners in scoring position. I think it's on the players who somehow are a preposterous nine and 23 in one run games. That's absurd. That's terrible. The worst mark in baseball. And there's just, I don't know. So I think the roster is a little bit to blame, but it's mostly on the players. And that's why I don't think Mo should lose his job. Also Mo cooked today. Um, I'm, I'm not going to doubt that. Like, I think Mo is fantastic today. Yeah. I mean, I honestly, my, my opinion has changed a little bit. I know I had my, I was tweeting daily for, I think like 35 days that both of them should be fired. And I have today decided to put those tweets on pause pending the off season, because I think it depends a lot on what we do in this off season. You know, I think they're like, obviously we got a great return today and that's good to see, but I still think we need some major league ready players that are, have proven themselves to add to particularly the rotation and the bullpen, like the bullpen still is just, it's a complete mess, you know, and I don't, I don't know what that's exactly going to look like, but I think this off season is a very big one um, in terms of just Mo keeping his job and also just the organization in general. Cause I think if you convince yourself that we have enough talent right now and we only need to make like maybe one, maybe two moves in the off season, I think you risk the same thing happening again of, the roster not necessarily having the depth or the talent to compete. And then you get a couple injuries, things look really bad, you know, like it just doesn't look good. So I think currently I'm sort of waiting to see how this off season goes and also how a lot of these prospects turn out, you know, obviously people are really high on them right now. If it doesn't go well, then like that's, that could be pretty, you know, bad overall organizationally for the next few years. And so I think seeing how that goes is important. And I do agree with you that a lot of it has been player performance. I just think that part of me is unwilling to accept the fact that all of our players can suddenly have these slumps at certain points and not blame part of it, at least on Marmel and the coaching staff. Like, I think obviously people aren't having great years and that happens. And, you know, that's just baseball. But I think some of that underperformance has to be how Marmel is you know, using guys in the bullpen, how he's setting up the lineup every day and stuff like that. And just the coaching in general, I think some of the blame lies there. And I'm still just not completely convinced that when we have a good contending team, that Marmol's the right guy to be at the head of it, making all the decisions. I think, you know, even just like if you isolate one thing that I think could use a lot of improvement is just bullpen management in general, when we're using certain guys, how we're using them. Like, I think at times it's been a little inconsistent and hard to understand like what exactly Marmel is trying to get out of each guy, especially recently, like even not even just this year, but the past few years where we do all this stuff where we take relievers and we try to turn them into starters for some reason, then they don't do so great as starters. And then we bring them back. And like, I know that's not all Marmel's decision, but like, I think just having a baseline at the start of a season of like, you guys are in the bullpen you guys are the starters. That's what we're doing. That's how it's going to be used. This is the situations we're using you in. I think that is something I'd like to see the Cardinals like have over the next, you know, remaining games of the season and also going into next year, I think is um, what I want to see from Marmel to like be convinced that he's the guy that can lead this team to long-term postseason success, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think the Ollie discussion is slightly different than the Mo discussion. I have one real like 
actual bone to pick with Ali Marmol. I hate the way he uses Giovanni Gallegos this year. It, it boils my blood every time because, for example, Gallegos has allowed seven home runs this year. Six of them have come in three multi-homer games, right? Gallegos has walked nine guys. He's walked a guy in each game that he's allowed a home run. He's only allowed four doubles. Uh, every single game he's allowed a home run, there's been a double, right? So with Gallegos, when it rains, it pours. It should be obvious to me. And, and I thought these numbers were this bad before. And then I went and looked at his game logs, um, went in there, and it's every bit as bad as you'd think. 90% of the damage done against him all year has been done in like six games. And it, it infuriates me that Marmol can't figure it out that when Gallegos doesn't have his stuff, he doesn't have his stuff. And the only thing that should prevent you from pulling him is the three batter minimum. I think that is one example of like tangible, something tangible that you can really like have a problem with Marmol for. And I think those things exist. Right. And so there is justification to be frustrated with Marmol this year. That's just one example. There's some other stuff too. Like, why, why does Burleson get more plate appearances than Dylan Carlson? Uh, why? I, I don't understand what we're doing here, right? Carlson was hurt for a little bit. I get it. But Carlson comes back and you're more committed to Burleson than him. I don't understand. Um, I, I don't get why you would have Taylor Motter on the roster. And then he plays once in 21 days. I, I don't understand. Like you're just wasting a roster spot at this point. Let's bring up another pitcher, right? You're allowed to have an extra pitcher. It, it just, it's infuriating. Um, but also, I think if you fire Marmol, nothing's going to change because Marmol was brought in for one reason, and that's to do the bidding of the front office. Marmol is what, like 37? I know he's younger than Adam Wainwright. He's the youngest manager in baseball by far. He is clearly here to serve the bidding of the front office. Um, Mike Schilt, we understand, got canned for some organizational or philosophical differences I think if Marmol says, hey, I'm going to manage the team the way I want to, I'm the manager, not you, uh, to Mosellock, you're not going to see Marmol be the manager in the future, right? So I don't even think it would change much to remove him anyway. Um, but yeah, there are some things that are, you know, and also I understand the angle. I subscribed to this viewpoint earlier in the season. I don't know where I stand on it. It's hard to tell of, you know, well, the one thing the manager has to do these days is be good at getting the best out of the players. And obviously we're not getting the best out of the players. Um, if we were, the team would be winning a lot more games because as I said, I believe in the construction of this roster. I think it's a good roster on paper. And so you could argue that he's not a good players guy. Um, and maybe that's true, right? We saw the stuff with O'Neill earlier. We've seen him and Cabrera have their uh, spats before. And those fringe guys, they're not superstars on the team. Um, but maybe there's something there. I need to think about that more, obviously. And I think before people are going around yelling about firing Marmol, um, probably formulate a more informed opinion, not saying that you haven't. I think a lot of Cardinals fans that I see on Twitter, though, um, haven't. I don't think the need to fire him is nearly as imminent as it was with a guy like Matheny back in the day, um, who it was clearly his time to be gone. And I was the captain of that train. So I understand it's a different discussion. There are reasons to dislike him. Um, but I'd still pump the brakes on that discussion. Yeah, no, I agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, I think there's a lot of people that just look at a team not doing well and are like, fire all the people. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, I can understand that like getting rid of Marmol probably won't change a lot, but I agree, like, especially the Burleson stuff just annoys me so much. He has, yeah. he doesn't have a single hit as a pinch hitter and we use him as a pinch hitter. So I know. Many times. So I like, like I know, Alec Burleson. <laughs> I know. I know he almost did a homer and it got robbed, but like he still doesn't have a hit as a pinch hitter. Why are yeah. we pinch hitting for him in the ninth 
down by one with a guy on third. Like I just don't, I don't understand the the yeah. use of Alec Burleson when Dylan Carlson came back and went on like a, a brief tear for a little bit. And we were just like, nah, don't do that. We want Alec Burleson. And I just, I don't understand it. Um, so some of the decisions like that are a little bit confusing. I agree. The Taylor Motter stuff. I don't know why he's here. There's a lot yeah. of times where I'm like, why are these guys on the roster? Like free him. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't even have anything against them. It was also that time where like Zach Thompson was on the roster and didn't pitch for like two weeks. And I, Oh, don't, that was wild. I don't know why. Like if we sent him down to AAA to develop and like work on being a starter and stuff, why then call him up, not use him for a week and a half and then use him as a reliever yes. anyway. Yes. Like I, I don't understand what we're doing there. And so I think some of those decisions just like, I'm hoping that we can just, we can put all the bad decisions in one season, just a horrible season. You know, we lose however many games or whatever. And then next year we can just manage professionally and not do this to our players. And hopefully that'll lead to getting the best out of them. Cause I think that's been some of it is there's been a lot of media circus around the Cardinals. There's been a lot of weird yes. kind of strange moves. And I think that makes it really hard for a player to settle in, get in a rhythm and get confidence. Like, there was the Jordan Walker stuff at the start of the season. All of the stuff with Wilson Contreras is weird. Yeah. The weird Tyler O'Neill not hustling thing was strange. Like we just, yeah. we, I don't know. I think there's a lot of times where I feel like the organization doesn't handle things as professionally as you would expect for such a storied mm. franchise. And I think if we could just work on doing that, I think that would help a lot with just even giving the players confidence. Like even just like, I don't, I think it was the game yesterday where like, Arenado left the clubhouse and then came back to answer questions about all of the crazy trade rumors and stuff. Yeah. Like, at some point, like I know eventually Moselec came out and was like, we're not trading Arenado. I talked to him, but like really that needs to be more obvious from the forefront. Like I think someone from the organization just needs to come out and say, we're not trading Arenado. We have talked with him and like you talk with him about it because like, I think it was clear in that interview that like he doesn't want to leave, but like he is a little bit frustrated that he's the one answering these questions and that the organization's not communicating with him. And so I think resolving some of the media circus we've been having for the past few months could really help just the team feel more cohesive going forward. Yeah, one more thing you touched on there, directionless. Um, I think that's one word to describe Cardinals decision-making this year at times, right? The Zach Thompson thing you mentioned, that's great. Totally agree. Why the hell would you take someone who was one of your best relievers last year and you're easily your best left-handed reliever last year, 245 ERA in a ton of games. Why would you take that guy and then randomly commit him to being a starter when he has never been a good starter at any point in time in the minor leagues? Why would you take your brand new catcher one month in and say he's going to be an outfielder and then backtrack, just commit to something. Uh, that's definitely somewhere that it's perfectly valid to be frustrated with the Cardinals front office. I think that's really important. I'm glad you touched on that. Totally agree. All right. So I guess I think one more thing we want to talk about, we just want to give everyone a chance to name one player that they think the Cardinals should trade um, who hasn't been talked about yet or hasn't been traded yet. So we'll start with Andrew. Yeah, I'll lead and, and go with the player that you just defended for a long time and you def defended in one of your articles. Um, I don't think Giovanni Gallegos is really that much of a fit for this team. He's supposed to be a high leverage reliever. And yeah, I know you said he has good numbers when it doesn't pour, but I think he should be traded um, because he just doesn't seem to show up in those big moments. Like I was watching WBC semifinal. I probably said this before, but he's, he's up against, I think, Otani, Yoshida and Murakami. Right. And Otani hits a double off him and he's a little rattled. 
I was like, okay, but that's Shohei Otani. He'll do that to you sometimes. He'll just hit a double on a pitch that wasn't even in the zone. That's fine. But then you walk Masataka Yoshida, who's been who had a good WBC. Let's let's be honest. Um, and he's a really good hitter. But the walks really shouldn't be there for for a guy in high leverage. And then Munetaka Murakami, a guy who struggled the whole WBC, has had one of the worst years of his very young career this year. Just hasn't seemed to find it at all. Clubs would go ahead, walk off two run double off him. And I feel like that is the ep- epitome of what Giovanni Gallegos does. I know that I just talked about one inning, but that was in a high leverage game to get to the championship round. And yeah, you let Otani on, but I feel like he should should have still closed out the Japanese hitters, um, regardless of what happened in that first at bat. Um, Otani was the tying run. Um, and I think Gallegos, if you want him to be a high leverage reliever, to stick around long term, um, and that's the plan for him moving forward, it's just not going to work, right? You have the three batter minimum, right? So if he gives up a home run to the first batter, then what are you going to do? You can't pull him. He might give up well, a home run sure, to the second that's, or that's third batter. So it, like, th- there's there's rules in place to, to prevent us from pulling him that early, and I feel like he's just not a great fit for this team. Well, I think it's important to understand that relievers are volatile. Okay, I think most people know this. You follow baseball long enough, you realize that you could have a reliever who's nails one year and then is awful the next year. Kevin Segrist is a fantastic example of this. Kevin Segrist appeared in like 82 games back in 2015. He pitched in over half of the Cardinals games that year. Um, He was one of the best relievers in the league, had an ERA under three, uh, just threw a ton of innings. And then two years later was out of baseball right? Relievers are strange. Luis Garcia comes over to the Cardinals is awesome. Where is he now? Uh, TJ McFarland comes over to the Cardinals. Amazing. Where is he now? Greg Holland is an all-star. Then he comes to the Cardinals and is awful. Giovanni Gallegos is someone who so far in his career has proven to be invincible uh, with this volatility, right? He he's, he's not vulnerable to this volatility. Giovanni Gallegos every single year has been elite or at least above average, significantly above average. I can read off some of his numbers in, you know, six years with the Cardinals. Okay. He's got a 2.97 ERA and almost 300 innings of work. In that time, he's got a 138 ERA plus his FIP is right at three. So he's not getting lucky. He's got a whip of 0.92 his walks per nine, 2.2. And this year that's down to 1.9. He's only walked somewhere around yeah nine guys this whole season in you know 43 innings Giovanni Gagos doesn't issue free passes he's one of the few guys that does that for us he's continuing to strike out guys in an elite rate nine per nine uh last year and the year before uh this is actually the lowest total of his career he'd never had a number under 10.6 strikeouts per nine until now his ERA by season since joining the Cardinals is also really impressive Zero in limited time in 2018, 2.31 in 2019, 3.6 in 2020, 3.02, 3.05, 3.75. Giovanni Gallegos is an asset to this team. He signed a team-friendly extension recently as well. Um, He's not getting paid a ton of money. I think that's someone, if you can pencil in somewhere between 60 to 70 quality innings every year with basically a guarantee that that guy is going to be good He's going to be a valuable piece of your bullpen. Sure, he's not going to be your primary closer. That's okay. We're not paying Gallegos like a closer. I think that's a guy you can't let go of. And the return's never going to be as good as what he is. Also, we literally got him for free because we traded Luke Voigt, and then Luke Voigt was off the Yankees very quickly after that. Yes, he had the great 2020, whatever. Um, 
fake season anyway. Gallegos is an asset to this team, and he's someone that I think if the Cardinals let him go, colossal mistake. I would say that I, I, you know, I talked a lot about Burleson not being a great pinch hitter. And personally, I just, it's not even like, I don't love him as a player, but also it's more that I don't know where he fits in the roster. Because mm. personally, I would rather be giving Dylan Carlson playing time over him right now. And I think when you have O'Neill healthy, Newt healthy, if we're going to keep Walker in the outfield, then I don't really know where Burleson is falling in that lineup. Um, obviously, I know there's like, there's room for, like he, he's played first base in the past. Maybe he can DH and stuff like that. But I just, I don't think I really see a future for him um, on the team, especially given the fact that, like, even if you look even more long-term, like, I think the Cardinals just drafted a bunch of outfielders in the most recent draft. Like, I just don't think he's got a very long-term future within the organization. And so I think he's someone that I would like to see moved on. I don't know what you're going to get for him necessarily. He'd probably have to be packaged maybe with Jack Flaherty or Tommy Edmond or someone else, but... I think he's one that I would like to see moved on before the end of this deadline. I can understand. Um, I know uh, Burleson's apparently been drawing some interest. So I think um, that is a piece. I think the Cardinals could be moving on from very soon. Gravy, I think you're next. Yeah, for me, uh, this might be a little controversial, but I think Andrew Kisner should be moved to the deadline. Um, And that's because of Ivan Herrera's, you know, breakout in AAA and, the brief stint that he had um, in the, at the major league level, he performed very well. Um, you know, he revamped his swing in the offseason, and he looks like a completely different hitter at the plate. Um, and, you know, I think it's time to capitalize on, you know, Kisner's production this year. He has a 246 average, 738 OPS. Like, this is a career year for him. Eight home runs. Like, wow. this, is, this is unheard of for him. So I think it's time that we uh, make a decision for catcher. We stick with Wilson Contreras. We just committed with him for five years. I think we have to give Herrera as a as a chance to be a solid backup for us. I'd like to add that Andrew Kisner, the media doesn't want you to know about this, by the way, but Andrew Kisner, through like 50 less plate appearances, has the exact same war as Ellie De La Cruz. And yes. his OPS <laughs> is like three points lower. Okay, Ellie De La Cruz is supposed to be like the best ever. His OPS plus is like 96. So, you know. And additionally, not- you know, he has three more home runs than Bryce Harper. So, all I'm saying. Billy De La Cruz fans are sobbing in their mom's basements right now. Oh my gosh. But Andrew um, Kisner yeah. can't run from home to first in 10 point whatever seconds. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the Ellie stuff just gets me every single time. I can't even start talking about that right now. I don't know where we'd end up if that happened. Uh, I kind of agree with you. I think moving Kisner on would just be good for him. Um, it'd kind of be like the Randall Grichik trade where at one point the Cardinals realized, look, Grichik's not going to play much in this outfield. Or uh, even the Matt Adams trade, right, to Atlanta back then. Uh, we ended up getting Juan Yepes, who's been actually pretty valuable for the club since then. Um, but again, you know, it's it's something it'd be nice for him. And I think Kisner's a starting catcher on a lot of teams. Uh, catcher's a really thin position. Somehow the Cardinals have three, like, capable MLB-ready backstops. I, I don't know why we have such a logjam there. Um, I would love to see Herrera at some point emerge as the everyday catcher. I think he has the most complete profile of any of those three. Uh, But yeah, I think that's a great take, Gravy. Totally agree with you there. I think for me, someone who I'd like to see the Cardinals move is probably Tommy Edmond. I know we mentioned that a little bit earlier, but I wanted to dig into it a bit more. I think Edmond just, he's a great player. He does everything right. Edmond hits for a little bit of average. He's got some sneaky pop. 
very, very fast, can steal a lot of bases when you turn him loose, plays excellent defense. He's a utility guy too. He just showed that he's a capable center fielder. You don't have a lot of shortstops that can just go play center field, right? He's an athletic guy, um, very popular in the clubhouse from what I've heard, doesn't have off the field drama. I would love to see Tommy had been moved though, because I want to see Mason win play. Um, if you've been following him, you know, he's been on an absolute power binge over the last month or so. He's been amazing. Um, you know, all of a sudden Mason Wynn has a power tool. That's huge. Uh, his prospect profile is so much more interesting now that it looks like he might be able to hit 20 homers a year. He's already up to, I believe 16 or 17 this year in AAA, which is a really high total for somebody, especially in July in the minors. Um, we generally don't see that kind of power breakthrough until they're a little older and reach the majors. So very, very exciting for him. I would love to see him start playing soon. And if you could move Tommy Edmond, I think he could get you an absolute haul. I think he's one of the more interesting players around the league that could be on the market if he was movable. He could be the type of guy who actually brings back controllable, young, established MLB pitching talent. So I would love to see the Cardinals look to move him. Thanks so much, everybody, for joining us on this episode of Newt News. I know it ran a little long, but we had a lot of stuff to say. It was awesome to have Jacob on. We hope to have him on again soon. Um, Jacob, thanks for joining us. We had a lot of great conversation today. Uh, again, huge day for the Cardinals. So uh, I'd love for you listeners, go to your own research, formulate your own opinions on these prospects. Don't take my word for it. Uh, I think Mo did a great job today. Uh, continue to enjoy the next couple months of Cardinal baseball. Yes, it might not be the most competitive we've ever seen this team, uh, but we're going to see some guys get shots. I think Wynn's going to play. I think McGreevy's going to get some starts down the stretch. Uh, I'm going to the game on Tuesday and Flaherty's supposed to start and I know he's not going to, so who knows who's going to throw for us, right? So uh, that's going to be the most fun thing. And also keep an eye out for Wayno as he tries to hit that last milestone. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Have a great week. Again, enjoy the baseball. Um, you know, it goes away and then the offseason sucks whether you made the playoffs or not. So we'll see you guys.